thanks to our sponsor, ShareGate. Do you know how many files are shared outside your organization? Do you know which of your groups and teams are actually being used? Are you sure that every team in your tenant is a valid owner? Do you know why your users create new teams in Microsoft 365 groups? ShareGate's got your back. After helping thousands of customers move to Office 365, they've learned that success in the cloud involves more than just migration. And that's why they created ShareGate Apricot, an automated governance platform for Microsoft Teams and Microsoft 365 groups. ShareGate Apricot can help you answer questions like these without placing unnecessary restrictions on your users. With ShareGate Apricot, get full visibility across each team's lifecycle from creation all the way through to archival. Automate manual tasks involved in identifying problem areas like inactive or orphan teams and collaborate team owners on corrective measures to keep your teams tidy and secure. And that's why they've also combined ShareGate Desktop, their trusted migration and content management tool with ShareGate Apricot in a single subscription so that you have everything that you need to be successful in the Microsoft Cloud. This is the Microsoft Cloud Show, episode 410, where CJ and I are gonna preview the Microsoft Build Conference, recorded live May the 20th, 2021. I almost got myself in trouble. I had to look at the date to see when we were going to be recording this. And today's my wife's birthday. So, I mean, I should know this. <laughs> you should have got it, buddy. I hope you're not 410 gone on her, on her birthday. No, no, I'm not. I'm not. That was last week, but it wasn't a permanent gone. It wasn't a permanent gone. Not a permanent gone. No. Thanks for holding down the fort last week. It's like a temporary redirect. Yeah. Well, yeah. No, everything just kind of went into a black bucket that was like nobody even, or an empty bucket and like nobody even touched it. So. Empty bucket. Yeah, gotcha. Thanks for holding the fort down last week. It's like you piped that to Dev Null. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no worries. You know, it's always interesting recording something on your own, right? Not having anybody to talk with about things. So, right. yeah, we got through some of the news that went on, but it's good to have you back on board. I appreciate you holding the fort down. Last week was our, my wife and I, we had our 20th anniversary, wedding anniversary. The two of us went away to a nice resort. Uh, about an hour away and nice. I think our biggest task that we had was sitting by the pool and trying to decide do we want to get in the shade or do we want to sit in the sun or uh, so difficult oh it was I, <laughs> I took my laptop I took my iPad and I took my phone and my Kindle my laptop and my iPad never came out of the bag I only looked at my email on my phone just to pump things to this week I'm not an out of the office kind of like person to set that on my email. It's like, I don't like that because I don't want people to have the expectation that if you email me, you're going to get a response right away. So yeah. I'd rather look at it and just be like, ah, look, if this is urgent, then I'll just sit there and go, yeah, I'm out of office this week. Just I'll deal with it on sure. Tuesday. Like, no, we need to talk about it today. I'm like going, yeah. So I would have an out of office, but I wouldn't even respond to you right now. So yeah, yeah. but it was fun. We, it was nice getting away. It was nice. It was nice just chilling, chilling out. out. Yeah. The only yeah. negative to it was it was somewhat chilly and it was hmm. really windy. And so where we were, there's a nice hotel on the beach. And it was way too windy to go out on the beach to to relax because you would have just been like sandblasted. Yeah. The pool area, which is next up from the beach, there was a pool area. But that was, there were two big weddings at the hotel. And it looked like there was, it was almost like a big reunion. Plus there was a conference that was in town. And the pool area kind of turned into being like a party house, which was very odd for the place that we went. Gotcha. But thankfully... So did you gate crash? <laughs> no, actually, no, it was like, we don't want to, I want to be involved in this stuff. But the cool part about it was that when we booked it, we're like, it's our 20th anniversary. So it's kind of one of those go big or go home. So when, it, when we booked it, we booked the club level, which meant we got access to like a little, like, I don't want to say a reception area, but like a little spot where like food and drinks and everything on at a little in a room at the end of the hotel at the end of the hallway yeah but it meant we also had access to the spa pool which you only get access if you're on the club level or if you have a spa appointment and the nice thing was that the spa pool was behind the main pool but there was like a like a big like hedge between the two which blocked the noise blocked the wind and well it just it was more it was more small and more secluded and it was Nice and quiet because people just came out of getting like massages or facials or whatever. And so they're all like chilled out. So I was like, my biggest stressor right now is do I have a cocktail or do I have a beer? <laughs> yeah, that's and- uh, I love our trips to Mexico for that, right? Because pre-COVID, we'd go to Mexico every year, go with the kids, go with other families, chill by the beach, chill by the pool. 
first couple of days, you're just kind of easing into it. Mm-hmm. By day number three through 14, I think it was, or 12 or whatever, however long we went, you're just your biggest decisions of the day are, what shall I have for lunch? Mm-hmm. And what would I like to drink next? Yeah. <laughs> and that's really all you got to think about. And it's very relaxing. It was pretty I started to like choose my, my beer selection was like, what's going to keep me from going through this beer quickly? Like, ah, oh, I'll have an IPA. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like artificial uh, bandwidth limitation. Only thing on our agenda the entire week was we had two dinner reservations and it was like, all right, fine. We have to we have to be at this reservation. We have to be at this restaurant at seven o'clock, and we have to be at this one at six thirty. Like between now and then, I'm like, I don't care. Look over my way. Very tough. How's it going? She's like, I am just going to take a nap. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to read my book. That sounds brilliant. Yeah, yeah totally. What do you totally want to drink? Relaxing. I'm like, I think I need to have a water now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. That's good. Well, I am. I am working on a bunch of stuff for work, obviously, transition work now. So trying to wrap things up before I leave at the end of next week. Wow, that happened fast. You know what? It's all it's, it's all like like how you, when you leave a role, you want to make sure that, well, usually you want to make sure things are not completely falling apart when you leave, right? And so you want to try and transition as much stuff as possible. And it's just, you know, it's like one of those junk drawers at your house <laughs> that you start, and, you know, it's sort of organized at the front, but then you get to the back and it's like, you know, it's got like the paper clips and the tacks and the things that poke you under the fingernails and the takeout menu all, that's crammed in the it's all rolled up in the back. Yeah. It's gone over the back of the drawer. <laughs> yeah. Jamming things up. It's all like that. There's just you know, there's a bunch of stuff that you sort of forget about until you really start trying to catalogue some of the stuff. So yeah, wrapping that up and uh finishing up at the end of next week. But we're going to Utah on Sunday and so my last work week will be from will be remote from Utah. And we've got to go to some of the national parks on the weekends and mm. things like that. So it'd be nice to get out of town. That's awesome. Yeah, I'd love to do that. I'd love to go out and that's an area that I definitely want to go see all that part of the country. I've been out there before, yeah, but I've never been. So yeah, it's, it's a different world, man. It's just like you got like the desertish areas. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm excited about it. I think it's going to be really fun. The kids have got school during the week and stuff, remote school. So we'll be homebound for the morning, most of the mornings. But then, you know, sort of later afternoons, we're going to go out for hikes and stuff. And then we've got the following week there as well. Uh, so we'll have lots of time then. So mm-hmm. should be good. Cool. Very cool. Well, we want to go ahead and get on with the show. Let's do it. We don't have a whole lot to talk about today because we're leading into build. And so things are very light. At least we hope that next week, next week's show is going to be, I hope that we're going to be packed full. But um, yeah, so we'll, we'll go ahead and dive into it today. Then we'll have a couple of things we want to highlight and... Get ready for next week. Sounds good. Let's do it. This episode is brought to you by Raygun. Have you ever wondered if you could be offering a faster, less buggy application experience for your customers? With Raygun application performance monitoring, you have all the information you need at your fingertips to find and fix errors and performance problems across your tech stack down to the line of code. With Raygun, monitor the impact of your performance improvements, quickly identify and resolve issues, and see how your code performs in the hands of your customers, saving you time, money, and sanity. I've personally used Raygun and Hyperfish for the last four years to help me sleep better at night knowing the customers we've worked so hard to get are having a great experience. We use Raygun to alert engineers proactively so that we can be the ones to tell customers when we've fixed the problem instead of them calling us to say something's wrong. Raygun.com is my secret weapon in shipping high-quality code. Check it out at Raygun.com and get up and running in minutes. Back to the show. Okay, CJ, in our continuing with our segment that we have on what's new with Microsoft 365, I have a handful of things that I want to share that are we'll go through pretty quick before we dive into some of the more news here. Sounds good. The first one is uh, Message Center 255074. It's recommended files in Office, Excel, and Word, and PowerPoint. And it's going to show you a list of files that are recommended for you that it thinks that you may want, that you may be opening up the client office client application says that this is what we think we, that you actually may you may be interested in. Timing of this is rolling out in early June to complete by mid September. This sounds like a clippy feature. Is this the file you're looking for? What? Yeah, like, <laughs> it feels kind of weird because I don't like go to Word and then say, "Now what do I want to open from Word?" It's like I'm going to go find the file and I'm going to say, "Open that file." I don't need to go like. You know what I'm feeling like today? I'm feeling like a spreadsheet. Let me open up and let me see what it, what Excel's going to recommend to me. I, I totally understand what you're saying there, but then. I watch my mother use Office, 
And I think there are some people that do it the opposite way. So my mother will open Word and then use like the file open process from within Word as opposed to finding the file first. And so it's like, I don't know, is this like tabs versus spaces? (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Are there some people in the world? Are we like, is it 50-50 or is it 20-80 or is it like... There's some people that open the doc first, and then there's some people that open the app first. I tell you what, here's what I'm interested to see. So roll this out. Go for it. Go on with your bad self, Microsoft, and let's see what, let's see how this goes. Now, what I want to see is, now I want to see the analytics six months later. So yeah. how many people are opening up Word and then going to the open me- file open menu and finding their file? Then how many people are taking it from their recent files that they've been in how many people are choosing from the recommended files? But I'd like to have a sub list of that, of how many are then quickly picking another file or closing that file and realizing that's not what they really wanted. Right, right. I'm curious about it. I mean, you don't know. It's one of those features like, do we need this? But maybe we yeah. do. And I recognize that I may not be the target audience. I wonder if it's also driven by something like, you know, on your, on your phone or on your tablet, you open the app first. Yeah. Like you would never go and open a Word doc by going into some file explorer on iPhone to go find the doc and then open it, right? Right. You always open the doc, the app first, and then go open the file from the app. So, I mean, I'm certainly not a app first sort of person on my desktop, but I would be on a phone. But I wonder if it's in response to that. I don't know. It's curious. I'm curious to see the use. That would be the, the cool, I doubt, we, I doubt they would share that, but I'd be really curious to see the usage of that to see how people are actually using it. Yeah. It's an interesting feature. I just saw the feature come out. I was like, huh. Yeah. So the next one that I've got here is about Microsoft Defender for Office 365. This is Message Center 256473. They're introducing advanced delivery for phishing simulations and spec ops mailboxes. So what this is, admins will now be able Trap to- ex- colleagues. <laughs> <laughs> Admins will now be able to explicitly configure the following scenarios and ensure messages configured as part of these scenarios are handled correctly across product experiences. Third-party fish simulation campaigns, admins using a third-party fish education vendor to simulate attacks that can help identify vulnerable users before a real attack impacts their organization. That's interesting. So let me try and fake out my users and try and fish them, but without like oh, yeah. real phishing stuff. Yeah, we do that. Do you really? At my current employer, there is there are tests that go out, yeah. That's like, it kind of feels like... Not very often. It's kind of like with like your significant... Periodically, IT does it. When your significant other goes out for like, you know, f- you know drinks with their with their friends or something like that, and like going, let me go send somebody to try and pick her up and see if she does, if she takes the bait. Like, it just feels like a little nefarious. Yeah. <laughs> Entrapment. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I'm going to go and get one of the Chippendales and see if my wife falls for them. It's like, what is this called? Like the Microsoft Defender? Like, what is this? The Precog Edition? Yeah. Interesting. I mean, I guess these companies do training on the stuff, right? But how do you know for certain whether they've whether they've learned any of the practices? Yeah. Most company training, people just hit play on it, go get a cup of tea or something, come back when it starts asking the questions and then they answer them, right? They don't really, at least in my experience, they don't really watch the videos. Yeah. And so, yeah, you've got to wonder, like, how do you test whether they've learned any of these cybersecurity and uh, techniques to avoid these scams? Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. I guess we might find out. We'll see. Entrapment. I like that. Yeah. It's good. The next one I have is adjusting retention, aversion retention for Outlook data files, the PST file type. So starting in August of 2021, they're introducing a new retention policy for PSTs to prevent people from consuming storage capacity for OneDrive and SharePoint Online. The new policy will limit the number of PST versions retained, resulting in greater storage capacity from PST version storage. Oh, my God. So... People are storing, are exporting mailboxes as PSTs, and then they're keeping versions of them. Oh, my God. Okay. Oh, brutal. This is back to where I can't believe what users do. Those wacky users. Yeah. PSTs in your OneDrive. Wow. I didn't even think about that. Got a terabyte. Why not? I mean, throw it in there. Yeah. I guess that's why they're adding versions, because they're running out of disk space. Yeah. Or removing versions. So the last one is one that we're going to talk about in in a little bit. So I'm going to go through it kind of quick. But this is Message Center 257152. Internet Explorer 11 desktop application retires on Windows 10 on June 15th, 2022, which, well, you know, we're going to come back to that. We'll come back. I'll just leave it as that. If you want to read more about it, you can read about it, but we're going to come back to that. We talked about the news. Sounds good. That's everything we got. Now let's dive into the news. Sounds good. Well, why don't we start with the IE thing, since that's the one that we we finished on that just kind of touched on. Yeah. Why not? So 
it sounds like the death of IE is actually going to happen. This is like the longest like perp walk or like death march <laughs> I have ever seen. Microsoft announced that IE 11 was, they finally announced it. I mean, like the, the community had moved on from IE 11 a long time ago. And, or, well, generally speaking, I think the community has moved on from it. But then there were lots of customers, there were or companies that were still out there going, no, 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 we still have to have it. It's important to us. Like, yeah, I mean, you only have to have it because you haven't taken time to update your apps or your vendors haven't updated their apps. Or, But you don't, this yeah. is, you're not using it because you like it. You're using it because you're paying your taxes because you have to pay your taxes, not because you like paying your taxes. That's right. Oh, don't remind me about that. I've just done that. But yeah, the death is imminent. I don't know about you. When did you, what's your first recollection of IE? IE4. Sorry? I, Internet Explorer 4. Yeah, because it was yeah. like a, a good version. It was like I was a Netscape person. And then, wow, well, here's dating us. Some of our listeners. I wonder if we have a younger contingent. It's like, what's Netscape? <laughs> I was a Netscape person. And then IE came out, IE4 came out. And so I switched to Outlook Express for mail and Internet Explorer 4 mm-hmm. and started doing some proprietary stuff with IE4, like HTCs and mm-hmm. like ActiveX and stuff like that. And so, I mean, I liked it. And then as it kind of went along, it's like, okay, I like it. I like it. I like it. Got going. IE8 It's like going, oh, I don't really don't like this. Yeah. And then finally, you know, you hear Chrome came out. And then after that, I haven't really cared about IE other than just like yeah. dealing with people that complain about it. I remember versions prior to IE4, but I never really used them. Yeah, same. I was like you as a Netscape person through university and stuff like that. And then, well, not through university. That's kind of when the internet became a thing when I was a, not a, you know, a more commonly used thing. It was invented a long time after, uh, before I was at university. But when it was first started to become really usable and but I remember I had a contracting job at the New Zealand Postal Service, strangely enough. It was called NZ Post. It wasn't Sheep Post? <laughs> no. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and we didn't, we didn't put barcodes on our email. I was either. just about to say the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> For this contracting job, they had really quick, fast ISDN internet connection, Right. Uh, or it seemed like really quick at the time. And, Sorry. Um, and so, <laughs> it's okay. I went into work and set off to download IE4. And it was like a, it was a multiple hour endeavor, right, to get IE4 down over this connection. And, you know, it failed a number of times and things like that. But that's my first recollection of like looking forward to downloading a piece of software mm-hmm. and using it. And then the second memory I have of IE4 from back then was they used to do a version for Mac. It was an Internet Explorer version. People may not remember, but this was back in Mac OS 7 hmm. days. And you used to be able to get IE4 for Mac. And so my sister had got a new Mac and we put IE4 on it. Hmm. And um, I vividly remember doing that as well. But IE4 came out October 1997, 23 years ago. If wow. That doesn't make you feel old. And that helps, curious. thanks. The Mac OS version came out in 98, and same with the Unix version in 98 as well. So, or yeah, 23 years ago for each of those. So IE has, yeah, IE's been around for quite a while, and we all know, we've all learned to hate it with a passion, probably in the last, I don't know, 10 years of that. <laughs> Strong correlation with Chrome was released. Yeah, just the attitude of the, like, trying to be more, like, doing proprietary stuff and trying to do, like, your own thing. And it just, it's nice to see the, the developer community, the web developer community, show the preference and the direction they've gone because things have been more open. I understand people, like, going, oh, come on, Chrome being open. But, I mean, it's an open source project and it's the basis for or Chromium, mm-hmm. open source projects, the basis for multiple browsers now, including Edge, yeah. Edge. But it's nice to see that everyone's like, this proprietary stuff, we don't want proprietary. We want more open. We want more consistency or uh, like cross. We want it to work. Well, that's one thing. Yeah, I guess it's a, that's know, a like, low I bar. Think the, the biggest thing that Chromium brought, what Chromium yeah, brought to the table, brought to the table was just consistency and that it always worked. And now we've got multiple browsers using the same engine. That's great. You can pick the browser you want, but you know things are still going to work. And as a web developer, that makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm. And as a user, that makes a big difference too, right? But it's, I think IE got a bad rap over the years 
it was early, right? And it had a lot of legacy, but it had before Chromium came along that it couldn't shed, you know, because IE4 was notorious for being like the browser that really took off in the enterprise. And people were building websites inside companies specifically targeting IE4. And then that that code stink stuck around for decades, right? So it's a shame because they should have done an engine swap 10 years ago, you know, as opposed to a few years ago. It's a problem that Microsoft has dealt with and other companies have as well. Microsoft is just the one that I think that you and I are more acutely familiar with. Mm. You may not agree with this, but but I see it like a similar thing to like an Oracle or to an IBM or to SAP in that with the the catering to the enterprise market and when a large company is like, you know, we need things like this, we need all these extra settings, we need all these extra toggles and all that stuff for our organization. And then one organization is able to convince that, or multiple organizations are able to convince Microsoft to add that stuff. Other organizations then end up seeing it because they can take advantage of it as well, being in the product, and they can all build their own little hooks into different things and to kind of extend it and have these really like tight coupling of these, which unfortunately then it, it inhibits progress because then other when they want to come up with a new version, they have to support all that extra legacy stuff yep, yep. that... I mean, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but I mean, they have to support all that stuff and that just keeps, and that can limit what your options are going forward. Whereas you look at someone like what Google has done with, well, what the Chromium project has done, but also what Google has done where they don't have that, and maybe Amazon the same way with AWS and stuff, but where they don't have that, we give you all of these extra settings of things that you can actually control for your enterprise because yeah, we're not really focused on that. We're focused more on the actual product and doing what's right. But it also frees them up to be able to do things a lot easier and not have to have as much of a backwards compatibility like Cannonball chained to their ankle every time they want to go through and move to a new version. It's not a bad thing. It's a thing. And you know, Microsoft focuses more on the enterprise market than they do on the small business than they do on the consumer. They've been very successful at it, but this is just one of the downsides of it. No, I agree. I, I think also the other thing that's changed is in software development, we've gone from like, three-year release cycles to monthly release cycles, say, for, for stuff like this. And small incremental change over time is easier to grapple with from a you know compatibility point of view than whole big changes and massive version dumps, right? So yeah. like Chromium Project can slowly introduce new features and deprecate old features sort of drip by drip, and people can try to keep pace with that as opposed to sort of one big backwards compatibility drop landed on their plate once every few years. So, although I think there's going to be things in Chrome that we're stuck with for years to come that they won't be able to remove. And so, who knows? Like, in 10 more years, we might be in an IE4 situation with Chrome. I've seen Google say this with Chromium, but my hope when we were going to get Edge was to see that, oh, hey, look, a browser that's not going to be like, you know, suck up as much memory and take as many resources when this thing runs. And I'm just like, lol. Yeah, I mean, Edge is, to me, I, look, hey, I know that you switched over to Edge as your, as your test project, but I kind of looked at it like, there's just nothing, there's no compelling reason why I should switch. And I just like, I don't see, like, there's no real, but, oh, but you can log in with this over here. I'm like going, yeah, but then it, then you're tied to that one Azure Active Directory account. And if I've got two different accounts, you know, I've got an account on the Microsoft network for my my contract work that I do at Microsoft. Then I've got my, my other account that I use. Then I want to use a different account as well. And I got to keep things all... There's, I have to keep things like going, oh, all of this stuff has to fall in the tree of personal or my my personal work stuff. Then I have to have the tree of Microsoft corporate stuff that I want to have my bookmarks and passwords and stuff like that. And the two shall not mix. Whereas with Chrome, it's like, no, it's tied to two different Google accounts. I've got a work Google account and I've got my, like, my everyday work Google account, but there's like the one that I use for like testing and all that kind of stuff. And it's uh, it's just easier, I find. And, yeah. oh, you can do the same thing with your Microsoft account, like going, yeah, not really, because it's just... Yeah, I know what you mean. There's very little differentiation, I think, mm. that Edge brings that would compel people to move. But, yeah, I'm, I'm on it at the moment, but I don't I don't feel like there's, thing, there's features that are really making me stay. Yeah. Yeah, so IE is finally going to go away for good, hopefully. June... 2022. I haven't followed each one of the dates they're doing. I know that different groups are doing are dropping it sooner than others. Like I know Teams has officially dropped IE 11, but I think Microsoft 365 is supposed to drop it later this year. And then all of a sudden we see the June 2022, and I'm like, what about the other ones? Like, can we just can we please just rip the bandaid off? I agree. Web developers will rejoice. So this week 
when this episode comes out is the first day of the Microsoft Build Conference. So we're recording this the week prior to Build, recording on uh, May the 20th, Thursday, May the 20th. And the Build Conference, I believe, starts on Tuesday, uh, May the 25th. 25th, yeah. So we don't want to go too much into it right now because by the time we sit down to record another episode, that's when you know all the Build stuff will have come out and we'll have more to talk about. But I mean, so far they've published the session catalog, I hesitate to say it's the session catalog because I'm going to, I am, well, I'm expecting, but I'm also part hoping that there's going to be like some stuff that they're holding on to, like embargo until next week when the show actually starts so that we'll have new sessions actually showing up. But, you know, we've talked about this in the past about this specific conference that the Microsoft Build Show, I guess the best way for me to say it now is, it, to me, it, it's a letdown because of what it used to be. It feels so watered down from what it used to be. And when yeah. I took the time to run through the entire session catalog earlier this week, and I walked away with, yeah, there's a little bit of new stuff there. There's a little bit of like, oh, this is cool. But there's, a to me, like the majority of this whole thing, like there's some cool sprinkles on the cake. But the cake still, to me, just kind of feels like, these are all just videos I could have found on YouTube and there's nothing about announcing-ish kind of stuff like this. And it may be a whole like, oh no, we're going to announce something in that session one. But well, the marketing pitch for it right now doesn't really feel all that compelling. And it just, when I look at a build conference, my perception of it has always been, this is the professional developers conference for Microsoft, the old PDC. You said it, PDC. And this is the conference that is supposed (laughs) to be the premier developer show. Yet as I'm going through this, I'm seeing all this stuff about low-code and no-code development. I'm like going, I don't, I mean, low-code, no-code is not a bad thing. It's great to be able to empower a specific audience or specific to empower an audience to build and create and extend things without having to be a professional developer like the two of us are. But if build is supposed to be like about like developers, I would expect like the no-code, low-code stuff to be and ignite kind of a thing. So now I look at build going, I walked away. The, the impression I got from the, the session catalog looking at this going, man, I hope there's a lot more coming, but I feel this is like the Detroit auto show of 2021, but they brought all the stuff from 2019 and 2020 to show up. So I'm like, yeah, I knew this. I hope there's some things that are sort of embargoing until, until the week starts. But, you know, these shows go through a life cycle. You know, if you think back at like the tech ads and PDCs and things like that, they all go through this life cycle of, of when they really thrive to when they sort of go into, and you know, when they start waning in popularity and interest and things like that. And so it's almost like they've got to go through a period of straying from their roots, right? Usually before they get cancelled and then get rebooted as something new, mm-hmm. right? So we saw that with PDC. We saw that with, was it called Mix beforehand? Oh, yeah. Remember Mix? Mix, yeah. Mix was very, was about, was very creatively oriented or oriented, right? Yeah. So it was it was all about design and building beautiful apps and things like that. And then Build came along, which was kind of a, a smash up or mash up between those two, right? Where it was sort of the it was mix as it carried on, but then it had a bit more hardcore development added in. And then it got more and more techy and you know, and I but I loved PDC for that because it was like hardcore dev. Mm-hmm. What I call hardcore dev anyway. And then, yeah, it's over the time, it's gotten more and more watered down. It's really now marketing. It's developer marketing, right? Which, you know, I can hardly poo-poo because that was, that was my thing at Microsoft many years ago. But it does seem like it's straight from its deeply technical roots. I guess. And it would be great to see it fail and then get reborn in a new... You know, every now and again, you need, a, you need an opportunity to reset. You need to, to wipe the slate clean and, and start with a fresh sheet of paper. And I hope they do that with build. Here's where I sit in this whole thing without being like the old guy complaining on my porch about the clouds and the weather. But <laughs> it feels like, you know, when I look at the Inspire conference, it's all about like partner stuff and and like partner relations between Microsoft and partner relations. But there's not a lot of like technical stuff that's there. At least I've never tuned into it for that stuff. You don't, I don't ever really find anything there, which that's good because I feel like that's a very targeted audience, very, very specific mission statement for what that conference is supposed to be. And we have the build conference, which historically has been about developers. And then we've got Ignite, which is supposed to be kind of like the the, re- the rebirth of tech ed, 
which was all about IT pro and it was about dev as well, but it wasn't like hardcore dev. There's like, there's a little bit of dev there, but it's mostly IT pro. And now we have two Ignites. And to me, I kind of look at Ignite in the spring, Ignite in the fall and build in May. I'm like, okay, can we just, let's just call it what it is. And you're just doing three events throughout the year. You're doing one in March, you're doing one in May and you're doing one in November. We're taking the summer off and that's it. Can we stop calling it like the developer show? Because I found as much developer, as much stuff that I was interested in as a developer looking at the Ignite conference catalog as I have in the build, uh, the, the build catalog mm. as well. And I found as much like citizen developer or empowering information worker type stuff in the build conference that I found at Ignite. So I just feel like, okay, let's take it. I'm going to take a step back and let's grab the person that's in charge of these two different events between Ignite and build and say, what is your charter? What is your mission statement? And then what is your charter? And what is your mission statement? And when I listen to it, just going like, I really feel like the two of you have the exact same mission statement. It's just one of you has, you just have different branding that you're using in different, in a different date. Yeah. My hope or my wish is that we could have, if it's going to be that way, fine. That's fine. That's the way I need to treat it in my head because I keep going when, every time I look at Bill, they're going, this will be interesting. Let's see what Azure is going to talk about. What's Azure going to release here? And you know, every year it's kind of like, eh, but you know, like, 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 here's a good example. Mark Rosinovich does this session about Azure architecture and I skipped it for a little while. And then I started watching it the last two ignites, the last three ignites. And he goes like low level, like hardcore stuff, like fascinating discussion, like absolutely awesome discussion around features and products and stuff that they're offering. That's not an ignite thing to me. That's a build session to me, but it's all been an ignite. And like, that's not where I would go. Like when I see the keynote speakers at build, I want to see, Guthrie, I want to see Donovan Brown. Sure, Sacha is going to come out there and he's going to set the stage. I want to see Rasinovich. When I go see keynote speakers over at Ignite, I want to see Jeff Teeper. I want to see Jared Spataro. I want to see more of like the marketing-ish kind of stuff that's going on with that. But I want to see more about like less about the dev side and more about the 365 collaborative stuff. To me, it's like Ignite is about the value proposition mm-hmm. and build is about how you get it done, right? How you build it, right? How you build with it, I should say. That's a better way to look at it today. Ignites the pitch to customers and partners and build is the pitch to developers, right? Or it should be. Mm-hmm. I think those lines are blurring. I totally agree. There look like some interesting sessions that I'm going to tune into. I'll keep an eye on the session calendar. I'll watch the keynotes and uh, we'll see what happens from there. Keep in mind that what you're hearing us talk about We've yet to see any of the stuff that is like, you know, what's coming for next week. Yeah. Usually it's media that we actually, we'll get like a book of news early or we'll get like stuff that's embargoed and stuff. And we didn't, yep. we're not on that list this year. And so we didn't see that. So I don't really know. I'm going to, we're going to see CJ and I are just like all of you that are listening to the show. I'd love to say like, oh, wow, this was really good. And the next time we get together in episode 411, but we'll just have to see. We just see how it plays out. We'll see what happens. What else you got for us this week? Do you know that Teams does a personal version of Teams? Uh, yes. We talked about it briefly. Kind of. So Microsoft have come out with another post saying that personal features are available in Teams. They did this like last year Mm -hmm. and now they seem to have decided that they need to relaunch it again. It seems to be, yeah, something about, I don't know, maybe people didn't listen last time because of COVID. Anyway, or maybe they just don't want personal features in Teams. (laughs) Call me strange. But Microsoft have added some personal features in Teams, such as the ability to invite family members in and things like that. So you could do family calls and use together mode and all that sort of stuff. But they also have some wonky stuff like tasks lists in Teams for families. And it's like, what crazy source are you on to think that a bunch of families are going to move to teams to do their shared tasks and meet with each other. Like, nobody thinks of this, right? It's, and admittedly, it's probably because they don't know about it, but also they've got tools that do all of this already. And I just don't understand the motivation for Microsoft to do this. I don't either. And the thing that I don't get about this is that we have that saying, there's an app for that, there's an app for that, there's an app for that. But yeah, we've usually said that in the in the context of there's an app for that task or there's an app for that concept and need. 
And there is another app for that need. And then there's another app for that need. And what Microsoft seems to be saying here is that, hey, you know Teams? Yeah, there's an app for all of that. Everything that you do, we have one app that does all of that stuff. And it just is the part of Teams that kind of gets under my skin where it's like going, you can't do everything. You this is like I feel like you're throwing .net on the the .net, you know, suffix on absolutely everything that you do. And it just it, I don't get it. I don't get it. I feel like it's a misguided mission trying to get families using Teams for personal stuff. They've already got shared task lists. They've already got shared calendars. They've already got like WhatsApp or you know, iMessage or whatever you use for for messaging each other. I just can't see anybody feeling like they need an all-in-one solution to this. I just don't understand where the motivation for Microsoft comes from this for this thing. So, yeah, I think it's a strange, uh, a strange pursuit. They're doing well in business. Keep going with that. Yeah. From the cheap seats. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I, I agree. It just, it doesn't, this doesn't resonate. I mean, when I, I know when I go back to my family or I go back to my extended family and say, you got, everybody want to get together and do like a happy hour thing? Yeah, cool. What's the Zoom link? I can't imagine trying to get, it would actually be an interesting exercise that somebody could make a little short movie about trying to get my family to use Teams and try to just, even just trying to get the app on like my mother's computer or my father's computer and, and be like, sign in with your Microsoft account. And they'll be like, what's that? And there'll be all this carnage and shenanigans and so. I just went through this. I just went through this part, part, with, part with family and then part with, like a community kind of thing. Mm. I've been watching some members of my family. Thankfully, they don't listen to the show. But I'm watching some members of my family that they have not had any need to use Zoom the majority of this last year. And they've gotten a couple calls. They've gone to a couple different sessions and stuff. Or a couple things have come up where they have to do things virtually. And they're like, we have to do this uh, this call. How are they doing it? They said it's going to be on Zoom. Can you get on the phone with us and actually explain to this, me how this whole thing works? I'm like, it's really simple. They're going to send you an invite. You click the link. And if you have not installed Zoom, you're going to install it. Okay, but what if I want to do it on my iPad? Same thing. What if you want to do it on my phone? Same thing. What about I have a Windows laptop? Same thing. What about oh, I have a Mac? Same. Th- I've installed it somewhere else. It doesn't matter. Just click on it. Well, I did it for this one meeting, but I have to do it for this other meeting as well. Like, it doesn't matter. They're all the same. They went through that and they're like, oh my God, it just worked. I'm like, exactly. It just, it just, I don't have an account. Like, you don't need an account. Just connect. It's fine. It's, it's a piece of cake. What if I don't want people to see my video? Then you click on the button that says stop video. That's, I mean, it's very, very simple. And with Teams, they had to go through the same experience. Hmm. I was a bit of a jerk and just said, I'm too busy. I can't help but I wanted to see how the experience went. They never got connected. They couldn't figure it out. They jumped on help with the people who were actually supposed to help them as uh, with the hospital and don't go through like some seminar. They were never able to get connected. They couldn't figure it out. They couldn't find the account they were supposed to use. It just, it was, it was not a good experience. And that to me, just that's where it, this just doesn't seem to make sense to me. I get what they're doing. It's like, if you use Teams at work and you like it, then you can use it also in your personal life. And here's how we made it to make work in your personal life. That pitch, okay, I get it. But that's not the pitch that I see being made. That's the pitch of, hey, Teams personal, it's just like Zoom, but it's so much more. And it's like, mm, yeah, that's so much more is the problem. <laughs> I think you hit the nail on the head when you said, you know, if I use Teams, I might want to use it for my personal life, right? Yeah. Because... In this blog post, the author of the blog post says, finding the right balance in this new normal looks different to each of us. I love the ability to manage my whole life in teams, but I also want the ability to keep them my world separate when necessary. Okay, so what this says to me is a person on the teams team loves teams so much that they decided to want to run their family through teams as well and so build all these features. I don't know if that's the case or not. I, you know, I say that a little tongue in cheek, but like, it just feels like that might have been how it happened. <laughs> that's just how it feels to me. And it just doesn't seem to resonate. It just doesn't seem to resonate with the average person that's out there. Yeah. So that's, I don't know. I mean, I think there's a reason why you keep seeing people, you know, saying, let's do a Zoom call, let's do a Zoom call. And it's funny because I see there's another like happy hour thing that I do with a bunch of Microsoft people. I see them and at first it was created as a, as a Teams meeting. And like, well, we're gonna do as a Teams meeting. And like so many people came back going, 
can we do this as Zoom instead? I don't want to be in Teams and doing like a personal thing and have to go through and connect and have like work stuff coming in while I'm doing, while I'm on a, right. on a personal meeting. I'm like, that's me, man. I don't want to go in, get out, get in, get out. Yeah, and you can't switch, but you can't have two tenants open at the same time. Nope. So you're either in this one or that one. And then if you're in the other one, you miss notifications from the other one and it's a, it's a mess. Anyway, yeah. so um, yeah, there are personal features for Teams if you dare. One of the things we have here is a little bit of an Azure thing. I, I suspect we're going to see more about this stuff maybe next week, but there's a blog post that came out from the principal PM for Azure Static Web Apps about developing production scale modern web apps quickly with Azure Static Web Apps. And so there's a bunch of things that it's got about you know, tailored CI and CD workflows, globally hmm. distributed content if you get for production apps, auto-provisioning preview environments, custom domain, SSL certs, route-based authorization, custom routing, etc. It's a bunch of stuff around this. I'm curious to look more at, Azure, at static web apps when from the stuff that's announced at Build. I we use we use it both for the web for the podcast website, but I use it for my personal and my um, business mm-hmm. websites as well. I don't use Azure Static Web Apps. I have static websites that I'm hosting on Azure Storage. Yeah. When I first saw Static Web Apps come out and the things that they supported, the more you kind of dug into it, you realize this is too much of an in the box solution that doesn't let me configure. Like, mm. I want to be able to use Hugo. Sweet. Okay, I'm using Hugo. Ah, the version of Hugo you're using is a couple of months old. Like, uh, that's not what I want. I want to have a little more control over that. Gotcha. Like, I love the idea that they've done with static web apps where you can have, like, integrate with Azure Functions to make the dynamic part of your site if you need to have a server-side kind of dynamic piece to it. Whereas with static web apps, it's just HTML, CSS files. I mean, there's no, like, dynamic bit to it. I like that side of the Azure Function stuff, but I remember the last time I went and looked at this, I'm like, I'm not willing to trade off what I have right now, mm. just to be able to get some of that dynamic stuff. I'll just stand up a new website and just host like a normal site. I mean, it's not. Yeah, gotcha. I'm curious to see what they do with uh, this. I guess they're just trying to make it. It's, it feels like one of those wrapper offerings where they've tried to simplify things using existing components, but you know, take away a bunch of features in the process. That's what I've seen. And what I've wanted is to understand more about that underlying stuff, like where you have a section of your static web app that actually enforces authentication with one of the different OAuth providers out there, Facebook, Twitter, Google, uh, Azure AD, what, Microsoft account. I'd like to see that. How did you guys do that? And can I leverage that in my existing setup? The first screenshot that they have in this blog post is what I remember seeing the screenshot. And this is the thing that kind of turned me off about it because it's like, want to create a new static web app? Choose the preset to configure your default project structure. And there's two options in there that I don't understand why they're mutually exclusive. It's React and Hugo. Like, I want to write the content in Markdown and use Hugo to generate it, but I also want to have like kind of a, a, a React-based app that I can use to go fetch data from static files. And why do I have to choose one or the other? Interesting. People love it. I'm curious to see what they're doing with it. And it's early. I mean, it's only been a feature that's only been out for one year or so, or a year and a half or so. So. All right. So final bit of news. I mentioned on the show while you were away that Microsoft was punting Windows 10X. They were delaying it. But it looks like Windows 10X is no more at all. So, And Microsoft are sort of officially saying that that's the case now. So there's a new blog post out that in the end of the blog post sort of squirreled away. There's a little piece, we'll link to Mary Jo's coverage of this, but Mary Jo Foley's coverage of this, where they say that following a year-long exploration and engaging in conversations with customers, we realized that the technology of Windows 10X could be useful in more ways and serve more customers than we originally imagined. We concluded that Windows 10X technology shouldn't just be confined confined to a subset of customers. Yeah, I don't know. Call me a skeptic on this. Reading between the lines, it sounds like they weren't going to ship it, and this is the team's way of saying that really they're saving all the pieces of work that they've spent years doing by breaking it up and putting it back into big windows. Just saying. It kind of seems like that, and it's kind of funny because my understanding was is that the whole point of Windows 10X was supposed to be able to compete against something like the Chrome OS, which is a super lightweight OS. So we couldn't make it lightweight, but we came up with some new stuff. We were supposed to remove stuff. So we're going to add that new stuff back to the big windows and just say, this never happened. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it's better to admit defeat than ship something that uh, you live to regret. So I guess that that's 
it's good from that regard. Mm -hmm. Changing your mind is a good thing in the light of new information. So uh, hopefully they did that. Totally justified. Okay, yeah. how about we do some picks? Let's get into it. ACs Voitanos delivers on-demand video-based training for developers on the latest SharePoint extensibility model from Microsoft in his course, Mastering the SharePoint Framework. Back to the show. Okay, CJ, what do you have for us today as far okay. as picks? I'm going a little cray-cray on this one. Ooh, I like cray-cray. This is a YouTube video from 60 Minutes. It's a piece that aired on 60 Minutes about a report they did on regular sightings of unidentified aerial phenomena. That's the new version for UFOs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Apparently UAPs are like UFOs. It's like Windows in their app model. <laughs> so, <laughs> sorry, is this the unified, universal, unidentified aerial phenomena? Or is this the... <laughs> yeah. Or are these just UFOs? <laughs> these are just UFOs. So what's interesting is it talks about sort of the history of UFO sightings and how the US government have dealt with them or not dealt with them and things like that. And it seems like for the first time in quite some time, there's now a new office that's been reformed at the Pentagon. Not new, a reformed office for investigative or investigations on unidentified sightings, right? So they focus on one particular sighting of a UFO by four Navy pilots, who are in, you know, two pilots per jet. I think there were four of them, four people in total, who all witnessed a particular thing that they can't really explain. Mm -hmm. These are pilots. They're pretty cut and dry people. They're not exactly crazy loons from the desert, you know, dancing their name to the moonlight and stuff, right? It's like, they're pretty cut and dry people. So it's got to the point where the Pentagon are now formed, they've formed this office and they're investigating the stuff because there's apparently there's just enough of these incidents going on from people in the Air Force and the Navy and, and things like that, that they've convinced the powers that be to take the stuff seriously, that we should be investigating this stuff, which on the one hand, I'm like, woo, it's crazy crackpot UFO loons. And on the other hand, I'm like, man, I hope they figure this out and find yeah. something interesting. <laughs> it's funny, I remember watching this when it was aired and uh, my son was watching, he's like, wait a minute, so the military is now investigating aliens? I'm like, no, no, no. UFO doesn't mean alien. UFO simply means something's flying. We don't know what it is. We've never seen this. Don't make the leap to aliens. The Chinese may have something really cool. The Russians may have something really cool. Or it could be some deeply secretive branch of the military in the US that nobody else knows about, right? So there's all sorts of plausible explanations for it, yeah. as well as some less plausible <laughs> exactly. Explanations. It was an interesting article. It was a very interesting article. There's been some declassified video footage that are taken from various planes, targeting systems, and things like that that a lot of people say they can't explain. So probably best to go figure it out. Anyway, I just thought it was a really interesting piece. It's kind of cool. Like it's nice that the government are the US government are just, you know, not saying it's all unexplainable poo-poo, you know, you're all loons. And might take a look at it. It's pretty cool. I agree. It is definitely interesting to see where they go with this. So my pick is something from GitHub that they have announced this new project that kind of builds off this uh, off this work of uh, this other guy named Simon Wilson, and it's called Flat Data. So the concept is pretty simple. It's you're basically scraping data and storing it in a repo. And so what happens is is that you know you have a project and you want to be able to go fetch data from some dynamic source some RESTful endpoints and whatever. And what it does is it sucks that data. You, you have a, they provide a work GitHub action for you as well. But what it effectively does is you go fetch that data, save it, add, commit it as like a JSON file to your repo, and then your project can use that data going forward. So why would you do something like this? So maybe you wanted to create something that would generate like, for me, every time my project runs, I'm thinking about actually using this for my business website. Every time my, pro my site does a build, and right before I deploy it, I build a giant index file, a giant JSON file of all of my content. And then after I do the deployment, I use a REST call to say, go notify the Azure Cognitive Search to recrawl this one file because that's my index. I could see this doing the same kind of thing where if I wanted to also maybe index content from somewhere else. Like say, if I wanted to include like SharePoint framework documentation stuff in my site, I could say, go to that site, go 
if there's a, a rest an API that has a whole bunch of their of their doc of their content in the site, then let's go through suck that into my repo, and I could say, oh hey, when I build a site, add this to my index as well. So I found it to be I found it kind of a, a cool, interesting little project there. Interesting. Yeah, it looks like a, a way to suck data in and save it as CSV effectively, and then visualize it. And also use it in your project. Mm-hmm. But sort of there's multiple steps of that, right? There's the import process, there's the manipulation process, there's the store process. And then they give you a way to sort of do that on a timer job. Yeah, totally. That's pretty cool, actually. Pretty useful. It is pretty cool. It's very, I mean, there's like, it shows a couple different examples of it. Bitcoin prices, Excel to CSV, flights right. from a SQL database, having a, a COVID dashboard, NASA photo of the day. It's a cool, it's an interesting little concept of, how you could like leverage this in your app. And I mean, not just go through and using it in your project, but maybe that data is also going to be used by, maybe that data could also be used like for in your build pipeline, right? That you need that, you need access to that file in there. I, I can see me using this too for my courses where I've got all this data for my courses uh, and all the videos that are used in the video host, hoster that I, that I use and say, I want this thing to, whenever we do a build, I need you to go refresh this one JSON file that we keep in the repo that is basically a snapshot of what's inside of our video hosting platform. Right now, the workflow has to go fetch this every single time I want to go get this data and rebuild the entire structure. And then we keep it in memory, effectively keep it in memory, but keep it on disk. But I'd love to have it like checked in as part of my my project. Handy. Mm -hmm. Nice find. Pretty cool. Awesome. Well, CJ, good to be back with you. Likewise. I hope you enjoy your next couple of weeks in the in Utah. Build will be interesting this coming week. So next, next time week. we get together, we'll yeah. be able to talk about, hopefully be able to talk about some stuff like going, wow, we had that wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so. we can hope. I hope there's, some, there's, there's usually a couple of things that stick out for me that you don't hear about beforehand. But I go, wow, actually, that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Totally. We can hope for that. Cool. All right, man. Catch you next week. Yeah, man. Take care. Did you like this episode? Please tweet about it and drop a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find out about our show and grow the audience, and we would really appreciate it. If you got a question for us, go to microsoftcloudshow.com slash questions, where you can submit it as text or record it as a wave or an MP3 and provide a link to it so that we can play your question on the show. You can also subscribe to us in Apple Podcasts, in the Google Play Store, Spotify, or your podcatcher of choice. And finally, sign up to our mailing list by heading over to our website, microsoftcloudshow.com. You'll get notices of each new episode as well as the show notes sent directly to you each week. We'll be back with another episode next week. Thanks for listening.